Emotions, we all have them. Um, some of us have them in a different way than others at different times. Sometimes we let our emotions control our actions in inappropriate ways. We can't deny that we will experience them, yet we should be able to manage them in a godly way. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to have a real heart-to-heart talk on a lot of emotions that we deal with. And there will be times that you'll have to come face-to-face with some realities that maybe you're living in sin. Maybe you're allowing these emotions to control you. Maybe you are finding yourself allowing these to turn you into the worst version of yourself. So today, we're going to begin with an emotion that comes as a result of a variety of other emotions. And we're going to talk about depression. The reality is this, that in this room, in the link, and across churches in America, on any given Sunday on February in the first couple weeks of March, that up to 60% of all Christ followers have some form of depression, some form of, of heaviness, feeling overwhelmed, having anxiety. And so as you sit here this morning, you could be one of those very people that are walking in the bowels of depression, where depression has overwhelmed you. Depression is the hidden secret that many of us don't like to surface because somewhere along the road, someone said that you don't bring it to light because if you bring it to light, then it means you're weak. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the very thing you need to do with depression is to bring it to light. When you bring it to light and you confront it, then and only then will you find healing. But if you continue to, to, to wallow in the, the bowels of depression, you will never live to your redemptive potential. And so as we address this topic today, you will find that there are three types of depression. I want to address those today. The other thing I encourage you to do today is to be a note taker. Not that any other Sunday isn't a good Sunday to take notes, but beings that potentially 60% of the people in this room, and truth be known, if we took statistics from the first service where there was a chance for people to be prayed on at the end of the service, up to 75% of the people in the first service responded that they have some form of depression. You will only find victory if you bring it to light. There are three kinds of depression. And today we're going to look at a man in the Bible that faced depression, dealt with it, and how God came after him and rescued him. But first I want to begin to just express and to bring to light the three ways that depression can come into our lives so that we can acknowledge it and battle it and not allow the enemy to attack our wound in the midst of our depression. We'll talk some more about that. First, let me talk about the first kind of depression that can come upon us. Physical or chemical depression. Now, this is a pretty simple one to articulate. A physical depression that comes upon you or a chemical depression that comes upon you happens or is triggered by a physical illness, a chemical imbalance in your body. So something within you, we are created, God has wired us as as emotional, physical beings. And so when there are parts of our bodies that can be affected that come from a physical realm, that area can be attacked and depression can surface in. So there's a component, the chemical, physical component of depression. We'll talk some about it. It's where you'll be able to meet with your doctor. Your doctor will be able to, to help you out. But first, you've got to bring it to light. We'll, we'll address that form of depression. 
Another form of depression that comes our way is psychological depression. Psychological depression often stems from upsetting circumstances. Maybe the death of a loved one. And the deeper the relationship with that loved one, depression can come in and it can overwhelm you. A husband or wife, a mother, a father, a son or a daughter. When, when that you lose someone significant in your life, when it's deeper relationships, psychological depression has an opportunity to overwhelm you and overcome you. It can come as a result of having a child, a baby. After having the baby, we call it the blues, postpartum. We, we see often in, in women where depression overcomes you psychologically because of childbirth. There are a variety of ways. You can, because of bad news. Bad news came your way. It's upsetting circumstances that have come your way. And as a result of these upsetting circumstances, psychological depression can roll in. Scripture is loaded when ways where psychological depression. David, when his son Absalom died, we find that because of the, the cruelty of the death and the form in which in the manner, we see that David was, was overwhelmed. He was downcast. He was depressed because of the loss of a child. And you can watch it happen often in, in our community. Job, when he lost everything, you can see in the book of Job, psychological depression came upon his life. I mean, imagine, he lost all kinds of things. He lost money, he lost wealth, upsetting circumstances, he lost family members, and depression swept into his life. Even Jesus himself experienced some form of depression at Gethsemane, but he didn't sin because we know that Jesus didn't have sin. So there's physical, chemical There's psychological and there's spiritual depression that can overwhelm us. Spiritual depression comes as a result of sin, disobedience in our lives. When we willfully sin against God, when we willfully do what he doesn't want us to do, you open yourself up to the bowels and the battle of depression. And when it's left unchecked in any of these areas... You don't live to your redemptive potential. So what are some some ways that it comes? I mean, even physical, chemical, it can come as a result of diabetes or a thyroid gland or even a chemical imbalance. But what are some of the symptoms? What are like the warning signs? Like today, these are the warning signs. So I'm going to read off some warning signs and I want you to do some self-evaluation. Are these warning signs part of your life? Part of it is ask the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, help me to see because I might be depressed and I might be believing lies from the enemy. So help me connect, convict, comfort, and reveal to me. Illuminate my mind, Holy Spirit, right now as I hear these warning signs. What are some symptoms? Weight loss or great weight gain. You can see people who are depressed in one of those three ways. You will see sometimes a great weight loss. Then you will see a great weight gain where food becomes a crutch in the midst of this depression cycle or an eating disorder. You have a low self-worth and depression is overcome and you look in the mirror and you think you should look differently. So you battle a food disorder. Loss of sleep or in fact no energy. 
You find yourself in the evenings just ready to go to bed, even after a full day. And all night long, you toss, you turn. And it's like you want to sleep, but your body wants to stay awake. And when you arise in the morning, there is no energy whatsoever. Warning signs. Another, there's lost interest in pleasurable activities. Even in a marriage relationship where there should only be sexual intimacy. Anything outside of a marriage relationship, if you're living with someone right now, sidebar, and you're sleeping with that person, you are in sin. And by the way, ladies, if you have a man that's pressing you for sex and he's not your husband, then you need to address dudes. You need to man up and run away and repent of that. But if you're in a married relationship and there's a loss or a lack of desire for sexual intimacy, then potentially it could be because depression has surfaced into your life. A reduced ability to concentrate. Right now, you're trying to concentrate because you know I want this information. And you've, you're thinking about last night. You're thinking about that stinking snow. You're thinking about this. And it's like you're thinking about this afternoon. And, and you, lack of concentration is often an indicator, warning sign of depression. Or overcome with feelings of hopelessness or uselessness. You think, I'm not good enough. I wish my, I was able to do that. And you begin to look at what you think are inadequacies instead of your identity in Jesus Christ. You feel hopeless. You feel useless. There are thoughts of suicide. And we'll see a progression of thought. I'll show you the progression that gets us to the point of despair. Chronic pain or even digestive disorders can come as a result of depression. You're dealing with these, these things inside of you that you've never had before inside of your, your, your physical being. It's like, how come my digestive system is so messed up? Why do I feel this way? Could very well be because of depression. Anger, irritability, or restlessness. You find yourselves in conversations with people. It's like all of a sudden you're angry at them, irritable. You're more irritable with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your friends. And you have this sense of, of, of anger that stirs up. The phone is about to ring and you're hoping it's not for you. You're angry when the phone rings in your business, in your house, or in your pocket. You're angry. Could be an indicator that you're depressed. Sadness or just anxiousness that overcomes you. The Bible refers to Early morning anxiety. You arise in the morning, David said in Psalms, and you're anxious. Like, why am I anxious? Maybe this morning you arose out of your bed and you felt this sense of anxiety and you don't know why it's there. Most likely you could be depressed. I want to show you an example in Scripture of a person who went through the bowels of depression, how he handled it, what God did, and give you the similar steps to come out of it. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you need a Bible, ushers will put one in your hand. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at this reading of a man by the name of Elijah. We're going to see a man of God who just has come off a great win. Monumental win. He's the MVP of the Old Testament of the day. Yet, in a short period of time, 
He cycles into depression. How did he get there? What was the exit out of that? Why did it happen? And what did God do as a result of it? Turn to 1 Kings 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Let me also say this as you read. Don't just be a listener of the word. Read the word. This Bible is living and active. It can penetrate the bone and marrow of your body. So when you read it and take it in, it's alive. It can literally come in and mend. It can come in and heal. It's more than just a book. So the primary thing to bring healing is to confront God in Scripture. So I encourage you, read this out loud. This could be the very thing that brings freedom to your depression. 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's read verses 1 to 18. Ready? Read. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed like he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I am a very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are still trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shephat over Abel Mahalah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. 
Let me have a seat. The story is this. Elijah has just come off major, monumental victory. It's the story in the Old Testament where it was Baal against God. And so there were these altars, and they were trying, okay, you call to your God. You see what you can do. I'll call to my God. We'll try to see which little God or big God, our God, will win. And so ultimately, the story goes that God's people called on God, and they were trying to burn the altar. And literally, the text shows us that they called upon God. They, they flooded the altar with water. I mean, it was just flowing that there were streams and puddles of ponds around it. And then they called fire down from God to burn the sacrifice. And when they burned the sacrifice, it not only burned the sacrifice, it burned the rocks, the water, and everything there. Monumental victory. I mean, it should have been, hey, let's celebrate what God has done. It should have been, let's party for a week. Let's praise God. But immediately after that, the text says that Elijah ran 16 miles away. Divinely inspired, it says, by God. He even ran faster and in front of the chariots who were coming behind him. And he ran to a cave all by himself. Now, why would a man do that? After all that had taken place, imagine, he was the MVP of the Old Testament. And now we find him huddled in a cave full of self-pity, repeating the same phrase and saying, am I the only one that's left? Or I am the only one that's left that follows you. In a short period of time, somehow, he had forgotten about all those people who were praying with him. He had forgotten about all the God followers, Israelites that were there. And he thought that he was the last man left and he better run. In addition to that, he was also afraid. I find that alarming. How in the world would a man of God that just witnessed all this, that, that God consumed the altar, God consumed the water, God burned up rocks like never before. How would he be afraid? Well, the text tells us. Look at chapter 19. It was because of Jezebel. And she said this, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Like one of them. What's he talk, she talking about? The 400 prophets that Elijah had killed from Baal's followers too. Monumental victory. Yet the picture that we have is a man that's depressed, wanting to take his life. In fact, just, I, text says, I might as well just end my life here. No one else follows God. God, I'm not sure that you're here. Have you ever just felt that same kind of way? After a monumental victory, after a win. You've had this business deal that you wanted. You, you wanted to get married and you married them. Or, or you had this goal and this accomplishment and, and you've been working so hard to get it. And when you finally get there, it's like while you're there, it's like you're excited and then you walk away from it a day or two later. It's like all of a sudden this dark heaviness overcomes you. Why? Well, I'm going to show you in a minute why that is true. But Elijah is there. Here's a man that just saw a substantial move of God. Yet we see him cowering in a cave, not wanting to come out. Doesn't want anyone there, having a pity party for himself. 
and thinking I'm the only one that's a God follower. And so all the other people have run from you. This is the best that you have for me. Let me give you a few thoughts about depression to give it some balance here. In Elijah's case, he is totally exhausted. Wouldn't you be after a great victory and then a 16-mile run? How many of you wouldn't be exhausted after a 16-mile run? Now, initially, you would get the runners high like I have many, many times. And again, yesterday, you get a runner's high while you're running. Like, you feel good. You feel like, man, I could run two marathons. And you get this runner's high, but you also have this moment after the adrenaline rush that your body tries to recover from that, and you find yourselves physically exhausted. Elijah just ran 16 miles. He's physically exhausted. Now Jezebel wants to hunt him down and kill him. And he's afraid of a woman. And I want to say, wait a minute, Elijah. You just killed 400 prophets. God just consumed and burned up rocks. What's your problem? But we know to be true this, is sometimes it's one woman and not the army of men that you can be afraid of. What could have been a big party and celebration is now just an angry woman after him and a man cowering in a cave with a medal from a monumental victory around his neck, wondering, is there a God? Am I the only one? God, I did all this, look at me. In a pity party. How did he go from that to that? It's a very dangerous place because a black cloud can come out of nowhere. And in this case, it was after an emotional and a physical victory and a spiritual victory in this life. And so it's a setup for depression to come in. I want to give you a progression that that I most would understand if you've ever taken any class in counseling or if you've studied anything in psychology or if you just study humans, you would see that there's a cycle that happens for depression. And eventually it ends up in this. The first component to get us here is you are downcast. There's a heaviness because of circumstances. Like I said earlier, maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a blocked goal. Maybe it's a physical component. Maybe, maybe it's a sin in your life that's a, a willful disobedience. But initially, whatever to get us to depression, it begins as being downcast. Like you feel heavy, like overwhelmed, and you wake up, it's like, You just kind of feel like, boy, if I could just strip myself of this cloud that's on me. It's like, I just feel heavy. Let me say something. If you're feeling that way right now, then you must acknowledge it. You shouldn't depress it or suppress it. You should bring it to light and say, God, I feel heavy. Holy Spirit, reveal to me what's going on in my life. Acknowledge it because you don't want to let it continue because it moves from downcast to discouragement. It's like the next step down is like the blues don't seem to leave. It's like not now, yet one day you're heavy, the next day you're just discouraged. And it's like you can't shake it now. It's like 
everything you look at, it's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a failure. It's like, oh, I can't believe they didn't come through and I'll never make it. It's like all of a sudden you go from downcast to discourage. The next progression down is depression. And you just can't seem to shake these dark emotions. I mean, and you know why? Because you go into retreat mode. You go to the cave like Elijah did. Elijah was downcast. And then he, he was discouraged because this woman's coming after him. Why would people hate him? Shouldn't there be more people around him protecting him? And so all of a sudden he got discouraged. He began to believe the lies from the enemy. And now he is depressed. And by the way, that's not the last step in this cycle. The next step is despair. It's like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And so you begin to think thoughts of suicide. It's dangerous when you're there. Especially if you're all alone in your cave or in your cabin. And you begin to believe more so the lies of the enemy. That you're worthless. That no one loves you. That there isn't a God. And if you stay in that tone, Satan has a foothold, a handhold on your heart. And if you don't fight back with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, you could be in trouble. Elijah basically is there. He's in despair. He's thinking, well, I just should take my life. What good am I? I mean, no one else is worshiping God. Why should I continue? Watch what happens, though, to Elijah. God meets him in a time of need, but he doesn't recognize the miracle in it. And that's what happens. Like, all of a sudden, we get so downcast. We get so alone to ourselves. We don't show up for, for gathering of Christians. We stop being part of, of prayer circles. Or we st- our friends call and they say, hey, you want to come? No, I'd rather stay home. I'm tired. Hey, I, I, I'd rather just turn on the tube. Or, or I'd rather stay home and just video game and just, and just look at this. And I'd rather just do social media and post all these posts of self-pity. I'd rather not be there. And the very thing you need the most is to get out of the cave. And so Elijah is right there. Let me also say this, because you need to hear this, and I need to hear this. Depression does not give you or me permission to sin. Well, I'm just depressed. You know, it's been a hard five or six or seven months. And this winter, oh man, I'm ready to kill somebody. It doesn't give us permission to sin. There's hope today. You don't have to remain in this, 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 this cabin. This, you don't have to remain in this seasonal situation that you find yourself in. And so God meets him in a time of need. Look at verse 5. Look what God does. It says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then what? Lay down again. Isn't it amazing that before he fell asleep, there weren't any charcoal briquettes there. There there wasn't any bread. And he wakes up and someone just kind of just came to the cave, started a fire, baked him some bread, gave him a bottle of water. And yet he doesn't even see the miracle or what God has done. It's exactly what can happen to us We can't see. 
and we choose not to see that God is with us. We think he's left the planet. And yet God confronts him, sends helpers, go get him some food. And the very thing, a miracle just happened and he couldn't even see it because he chose not to. He chose to allow this depression to have a hold on his life. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back. What what did he come back? What? A second time. And touched him and said. Now, just picture this. He's asleep. When's the last time you got woken by an angel? Seriously. I mean, just imagine. Like, I'm asleep. I just ran. And you wake up. There's an angel. Um, He doesn't even recognize that something supernatural is taking place here. Because he refuses to look at God and he wants to spiral in and see everything that's horrible that he thinks is about his life. It's called self-pity. So he comes a second time. He comes a second time, touches him. So he, he got up, ate and drank, strengthened by that food. Look at verse eight. How many days and nights did he travel to Horeb? How many? Now, that's a meal, isn't it? I'd like to get a hold of some of that protein and carbohydrates. Maybe encompass nutrients. (laughs) Imagine 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, God stepped in. He's trying to pull him out. He's saying, I'm here. I haven't left the planet. Yet Elijah couldn't see the miracle around him. He chose to retreat Again, look at verse 9. After he ran, retreated 40 days and 40 nights, verse 9, there he went into a what? Cave and spent the night. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. By the way, does he have anybody with him right now? Does he? No. He's all alone by himself. That's what happens when depression takes over. It's like, I'd rather just be by myself. Now listen to me. The very thing that you need the most is people that love you. People that are God followers. People that love Jesus. The very thing you need the most is the very thing that you want the least. But in times of depression, you must not retreat and pull away or you will spiral down farther and farther and farther and farther to despair. And it's dangerous to get to despair because all you see is how miserable you think your life is. The farther you go down, the stronger the hold of the enemy on your soul in this time. So he retreats, and the enemy comes after him. Now listen to me. Here's how evil our enemy does. You're all by yourself. You got all the symptoms. You're retreated. It's been dark. It's winter time. You're sitting in your house, and the enemy comes after your wound. He comes in and he reminds you. Remember when you were a kid and your dad didn't love you? Remember when you were a kid and you got abused? Remember when you were a kid and they tried to put that guilt on you, said your mother or father, whomever it was, says, if if you disobey God, then God will beat you up with a hammer. Do you remember? So they used that to manipulate you. So you lived your whole life thinking that if I'd done something wrong, that God is a hammer, that he just whacks a mole us. 
all of a sudden the enemy steps in and he comes after your wound and he feeds you these lies that says, hey, you are worthless. Hey, this guilt, let it rule your life. Hey, you are hopeless. Hey, no one really does love you. And so he attacks your wound. Now listen to me. If you don't address the wound, you will never live to your redemptive potential in Christ. And all across the world, those of us who are Christ followers haven't dealt with the wounds from our past. And you know when they surface? When depression comes in and the enemy, he's not gonna go after areas where we're strong. He goes after our weakness. It's in those moments, and I'll show you in a second what you should do. You need to remind yourself of your identity in Jesus Christ. So he's coming after Elijah. Isn't it interesting? Here's a guy that just had a monumental victory. Here's a guy that's got trophies in his home. Here's a man that just got fed by angels. Here's a man that just ran 16 miles and outran a chariot. And now he's sitting in a cave and believing that, oh, this woman, oh, I'm the only one that loves God. Somewhere in his past, Somewhere in his past, something happened to him, and he's gone back and believing that lie. So he retreats to the cave, spiraling out of control. Look what happens to him in verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Verse 10, and the word of the Lord came to him. And look what the word of the Lord said at the end of verse 9. What are you doing here? Elijah, have you ever had a friend that really loves you and they see you and they see you in the pit of of depression and they're like, what are you doing here? You know you shouldn't be here. You know you shouldn't believe these lies. You know you shouldn't be writing these Facebook posts of how everyone hates you. You know, you know, you know. You know you're in the the realm of self-pity. You see, you truly don't have a friend unless this friend is willing to tell you the hard stuff. And even if you don't like it, a friend that loves you says, I'm not leaving you there. Hey, let's go for a run. Hey, let's get out of the house. Hey, let's listen to some worship music together. Hey, let's read the word of God and have him confront us in his word. And so God comes in literally and says, Elijah, you don't belong here. Elijah, what are you doing here? You are my child. It's interesting how even a great man of God can get so low. See, we're all one step away from that happening. And so Elijah replies, look at verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Dudes, if you got a friend, men, men to men, if you have a friend that's talking like that, just slap him around a little bit and say, listen, you are created in God's image. Go after him. In Christ's name, don't let him believe another lie. Don't let him reel in self-pity. A good follower of Christ, a great accountability partner is going to grab him by saying, I am sick and tired of these texts. I am sick and tired of you believing these lies. Listen to me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Now that's a friend. But listen to me. 
The guy on the other end is not going to receive that well. But there will come a moment if he's sensitive to the Spirit of God that he'll come back and say, thank you. Don't let them linger. Listen, this isn't a time to pacify someone in self-pity. Yeah, I know it's terrible. Get together. Let me tell you how horrible my life is too. That's the worst thing that you could ever do for another Christ follower. That's not, we're not talking about compassion. That's lack of compassion, not telling the truth and reaching someone. Let me just talk about self-pity for a little bit. Self-pity can destroy you. Right now, Elijah is on the verge and on the dangerous journey of self-pity. It can be dangerous for us, too. The language of our Facebook post. We start to begin thinking, oh, comparing our lives, and we think we have it horrible. I can't believe God allowed this to happen. I, I can't believe my kids are this way. I can't believe my husband's that way. I can't believe this, and I can't. And you can watch it. It's like some friend needs to say, delete it. You are God's daughter. You are God's son. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that self-pity. You see, that's what real friends do. Expressions of self-pity often surface among resentful people too. And here's how it goes, if you allow it to happen. You spend hours just rehearsing how horrible your life is and how horrible your husband is and how difficult your job is and how much you need more money and how much this and how much you don't have that and how your cars break down and how your trucks break down and how you don't get to go on vacation and how you don't have this and how you don't have that. Listen to me, that's called self-pity. And when you go down that trail, you are spiraling just like the enemy wants you to. And when you do that, here's what you're saying. Satan, you just take my life and you ruin it. I don't care. I think just the opposite. And here's what happens. So we begin to pray. We think, well, Pastor Jim says if we talk to God and confront God, then if I go to prayer, everything will be better. And you know what we do? We take this depression and we bring it to our prayer life. And it goes like this. God, Remember that guy that kept doing this to me? Remember when I was six and this happened? God, remember when this took place? God, I can't stand that you allowed that to happen. God, and we began to recall all the things of the past. And so we, we have this bitterness and resentment. And we have this, this husband. But God, you don't know how horrible he is. But God, you don't know how someone else has it so good. But God, but God, but God. So Jesus, would you help me? And the very thing that you want, you will never find. You will never find freedom with a resentful spirit talking to God. You have put a ceiling between you and God. So listen to me. You need to remove the ceiling. You need to go to God. Yes, you need to go to God. But you need to go to him with a heart full of praise, with a heart of thankfulness and saying, God, if there's something in me that needs mended, if there's something in me that needs confessed, I confess it, God, because I want healing. I am sick and tired of spending my life in this depressed state. You stop blaming others and you ask the Holy Spirit to do an internal organ check of you and say, Holy Spirit, convict. Holy Spirit, implore. Holy Spirit, reveal. Holy Spirit, illumine my mind. 
And when you go there, guess what happens? Wow, it's because of this. It's because of that. Lord, I'm sorry. God, thank you. And you know what happens? You remove the lid of depression and you will get back on your feet again. All of us have dealt with depression in some form or fashion. Elijah is in self-pity. All of us resist the idea that we must give up feeling sorry for ourselves. We don't like giving that up. It's like, here's why. Because in a really sick way, we want people to pity us because we're miserable. Now, when you really think about that, that just doesn't make sense. Yet, if we insist on our right to continue with our present feelings, we are closing the door to freedom. And so, you know what happens if you don't? You get jealous of other people. We start comparing ourselves. And so, all these other sins get footholds in our lives, and this wound just festers. He can't see because of the black cloud on his life, because he is letting sin enter into. But God amps it up. I love our God. Our God's long-suffering. Our God doesn't want to keep us there. Our God doesn't want to allow us to remain there. And so look what he does. So look in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then the Lord sent a great and powerful wind, tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in fire. After the fire came a whisper. Then when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? It's a repeat. Can you see the cycle that he's, he's, the cycle of insanity? So look at his response. You could read verse 10 and he see the same thing. He replied, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars and your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Yet God doesn't give up on him. God does a little light show for Elijah. And by the way, he doesn't even recognize it. I mean, imagine. Imagine walking out in your front yard. Okay, God, are you there? God, I don't know if you're there. Earthquake in Indiana. God, are you there? I still don't know that you're there. Tornado. God, are you there? All the rocks around you shatter. God, are you there? He sends this firestorm out across your field. God, are you there? Because he was in the bowels of self-pity, he couldn't even see the miraculous hand of God all around him. God doesn't give up on him, but he confronts him. So how do we confront God? You know how you confront God? You get out your Bible, and even though you don't want to read it, you start reading the truth because this is the living, active word of God. You start reading the promises of God. You start seeing who Jesus is. You start seeing who you are in Christ, and you confront God, and you read, and you renew your mind, and you replace these negative thoughts. Instead of writing these negative thoughts out on social media, you replace them with the word of God, and you begin to understand again who you are in Jesus Christ. So what's God do for him? 
basically at the end, 15 to 20. He sends him out, and, and he gives him seven. Look at, look at verse 18. That'll give you 7,000 in Israel. He says, go anoint Elisha. Basically, gives him a job to do. He gives him hope. In the midst of that hope, all of a sudden, Elijah comes alive because God wants us to get out of this depression. And here's the truth. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you've got to believe that in the midst of depression. Let me just say this about depression too, especially during this time. Don't ever make a monumental decision that, hey, I'm going to change careers. And here's what happens. By the way, tell him I said hello, whoever's phone's ringing. Imagine depression taking place. Don't ever make a life change decision. And a lot of people like to make them in the wintertime during like January, February, March. Listen to me. Be very careful. Because if you're thinking, well, I just don't feel happy. She doesn't look happy. You know what? Uh, Honey, you don't look very happy. So you should probably change whatever needs to be changed so that you feel happy. Don't ever make a decision trying to find happiness. So we change jobs because we're chasing down happiness. We change, change, and we, and we make vacation plans, or, or we go out and buy something. We make all these decisions trying to pursue happiness because we're overwhelmed and weary. Listen, it's a hard issue. It's not a possession issue. Don't ever make monumental decisions if you're battling with depression because generally you're seeking happiness and you're trying to cover and mask instead of dealing with the issue. You must be prepared to battle it. So when does it hit? These are good reminders. And why I tell you this? Because doesn't any soldier want to walk on the battlefield and understand? Doesn't he want strategy? Like, I want to know how to fight this battle. Like, I don't want to just walk up, wake up, say, what do I do next? I want strategy. I want to study my enemy. I want to study what, what takes place. And so I'm, I, I want to be a student. So when I see the, oh, guess what? Then I battle. Oh, guess what? Oh, I battle. Instead of being reactive, you should be proactive as Christians. So after an intense workload or ministry time, quite frank, for me, the greatest battle I have for depression is every Monday morning. It's my day off. After a great weekend on Sunday, after seeing people's lives changed, seeing people respond to the word and in worship, man, you know, I'm physically tired after three services of preaching. Imagine that. But I am. I'm emotionally drained after three services. I'm physically spent. I'm spiritually at a mountaintop high. It's the classic setup for depression. And so you know what? I, I know that. And so I know, Jim, guess what? You're a candidate. So am I reactive or pro? I'm proactive. You know what I do? Before my feet hit the floor, you know what I'm doing? I'm confronting God. I'm going back and believing some truths. Even Pastor Jim has to remind himself daily who he is in Jesus Christ. I read his word I spent time praying. I put on the armor of God every day. Why? Because I'm not going to walk in the battlefield in a Speedo. See, wouldn't any, any soldier, you know, I'm studying the battle. I know my enemy. And I'm coming to win. Not in my power, but in the power of my God. 
I listen to worship music. You know what else I do? I get out of the house and I exercise. And I'll show you in a minute why that's important. It's good to get the endorphins released. And so it's not uncommon for me and my wife on a Monday to go run and run outside even in the wintertime. Well, it's cold, Pastor Jim. Well, listen, so what? Embrace it. Bundle up. Get outside. But I attack it. Or otherwise, boy, that arrow comes from the enemy. And so when the arrows come, you know what I do? Boop. And you can too. So it comes after a heavy workload. It can come after relational conflict between husband and wife. <laughs> Imagine that, huh? It can come after burnouts. It can come after a high time or a low time, a business deal that goes south. After you've, you've, you've gorged food and you've overeaten and you've been trying to lose weight. And you, and, you, and, and, you, and you give in. It's like you feel defeated. Depression wants to overcome you. It comes after you're physically sick. It comes after a death in the family. Ways to bring it on. In the spiritual realm, unconfessed sin is an open floodgate for depression. You see, Elijah started out in the physical realm. Now he's spiraling down into the spiritual realm because he's neglecting who God is. And now he got the physical, now it's the spiritual, now he has sin in his life. In fact, read today, if you don't think God doesn't deal seriously with this. Deuteronomy 28, 65 to 67. Read today on your own and see what God does to those who are disobedient. He brings dis- allows despair. He allows people to feel overwhelmed. He allows the black cloud to envelop them because there's sin in their life. Let me also say this. Sometimes counselors are trying to make people comfortable with their sin when God is allowing them to be miserable in their sin. You can go to a counselor. Make sure you go to a wise counselor. Don't ever let them teach you how to manage your sin. God wants you to be miserable in your sin, and depression often is a byproduct of sin in someone's life. An unrepentant person who's still allowing resentment and jealousy and pride, you are opening yourself up to depression. Jealousy, bitterness, hate, and anger. Greed and guilt can be an open door for depression. Why did Judas take his life? Because of guilt, of selling out Jesus. False guilt can be an open floodgate for depression. A father telling his child that he's going to punish you for every wrongdoing leads to condemnation and self-condemnation. If you allow that past, let me just say it this way. Here's a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to evaluating. We must trace the fruit to its root. So if you're responding in hate, if you're responding in unrighteous anger, if you're responding in jealousy, if you're responding in bitterness, if you're responding in fear, if you're responding in, in, in jealousy, listen to me, that is a byproduct of some root in your life that hasn't been dealt with. So you must trace the fruit 
to its root. And listen to me, that's where you've been wounded. Deal with it or you'll never find true healing. It comes because of anger. Depression is an open floodgate for anger. Anger can be debilitating. It shuts us down. It cuts us off from God. Just being angry can be an open door to depression because it's a sin. It comes as a result of hiding in darkness all by yourself in the wintertime or whenever it is. Listen, if you think retreating to your house and playing video games and watching Netflix all night is going to make you remove yourself from this darkness, you are kidding yourself. It comes from lack of light. This winter has been that way. That's why I am so radical, and you might think I'm nuts, and I know most of you do, and that's okay. I embrace this reality. I bundle up and I go outside. You know why? Because I'm fighting depression. I will not let the enemy win. See, some of us, no, it's too hard. It's too cold. I don't want to get out into the light. I don't want to get out and experience. Listen, get outside. It comes as a result of lack of creativity, activity, or boredom. From just nonstop video games or just studying all the time or just you need to be creative, get the creative juices going. It comes when you forget to remember who God is and what he's done. It can come as a result of abuse of alcohol or drugs. It comes as a result of improper nutrition. Listen to me. You must eat your fruits. You must eat your vegetables. You must eat properly. Listen, but besides, we have the living God inside of us giving the best temple to live in. Take your vitamins, take your nutrients, because if you don't, chemically, your body can get out of whack. Depression can grab you. You see, you know what we do? We're depressed, so we go in the cave and we eat potato chips and cheeseburgers and pizza, and we drink pop. We think, why do I feel so miserable? Give me another one. Because you've allowed it to control you. Instead of being proactive, you're reactive. It can come as a lack of physical fitness. You might say, well, my body's physically fit. I'm okay. Listen, if you don't have a regular fitness routine, you are opening yourself up chemically and physically to depression. Now, listen, many of you don't like to hear that. Run at your pace. Walk at your pace. Listen, it doesn't, you don't have to compare to someone else, but get out and move regularly, not once a week, at least three times a week. Have a plan in place. What are some cures? First, you must rule out the physical. Then go to the heart. And after going to the heart, it might be, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what's going on. There's an area in my life that's left unchecked, and I refuse to stay in this condition. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with going to your doctor and getting help. We are... God has wired doctors and given them great knowledge to help you out with medication. But let me just say this. If you're trying to treat depression because it's a spiritual issue with medication, medicine will never reach the soul. Never. Some cures refuse to tank into self-pity. Stop and pray and confess instead of self-pity. Listen to me. Fulfill your God-given responsibilities, whatever that calling is. Don't stop doing what you've been called to do. Continue to do it. Listen, and do your very best at it. You can't be good at everything, 
but you can give your best at anything. Seek medical help. Start an exercise and health plan today. Thank God for what he's done. Become a praise nut for Jesus Christ. Spend time soaking in his word and listening to worship music. Listen to me. If you spend all day listening to songs that are dark and deathly, that will impact you in a negative way. Get out with people even though you don't feel like it. Start showing up at small group even though you're tired and don't want to. Come out to prayer encounter. Come in Sundays and worship. Be part of an environment of men and women where you're being challenged and called out regularly. Confess your sin. Take your eyes off of yourself. Surround yourself with positive people and Christ followers instead of people who don't always follow Jesus Christ. Get proper nutrition Be intentional about laughter, too. And what do I mean by that? Laughter releases endorphins. I love, I'm regular, my family regularly views YouTube videos. Listen, you want some laughter, go to YouTube and just type in Tim Hawkins. Find people that make you laugh in a wholesome way. Do you want victory? It's possible. Would you stand? Hold hold, hold a second. I'm going to ask you to stand in a second. But let me preface it this way. If you're here today, I believe this message can be life-changing. So don't check out. I believe you're supposed to hear this message today. I believe that many aren't living in freedom right now. And if the first service was any indication of that, there are many in this room right now that are in the deep, dark bowels of depression. By the way, I'm going to ask you in a second if you know that you're overwhelmed and you're saying, Pastor Jim, I don't know if it's spiritual, I don't know if it's physical, and I don't, I don't know if it's uh, psychological, but I know that I'm not myself. I know that I'm feeling weary and overwhelmed and downcast. Listen to me, there's no shame in admitting that. See, here's the problem. The enemy right now, as I talk these words, he's going in because you're in that state and he's going after your wound and he's saying, hey, you shouldn't admit that you need help. And so the very thing that you need the most, he's trying to keep you from it. It's time you stand up and say, not this time, enemy. There's no shame in admitting that you need help. Because when you bring it to light, that's where freedom is. So we're going to close this service. And I'm going to ask you to do this in about five seconds. If you're feeling overwhelmed and you're saying, God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not certain whether it's physical or psychological or spiritual, but... I don't want to remain here any longer. I want prayed for. Would you just stand in the main and the link? There's no shame. Listen, we're not judging. See, some of you are still sitting there and you are so, so needing to stand right now and you're letting the enemy win. You're afraid about what your husband's going to think. You're afraid about what your wife's going to think. You're afraid about mom's going to think. You're afraid about what, listen to me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to say, praise God. Listen, listen to me. Some of you are still holding back. You're pretending. Listen, you're going to walk out of this room in darkness. Here's what I want to happen. Look around the room right now. These are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. By the way, I am proud of you because you have just taken the path and you just told Satan. So I'm going to ask the rest of you. I'm going to ask those of you who are seated and 
Do the one another's. This is our chance. I want to make sure that you see everybody. So I want you to get up and place a hand on someone's shoulder that's standing. Don't leave anyone untouched. That might mean you have to move to the back of the room. Put a hand. Look around. Come on, turn around. Walk down an aisle. This is the one another's. This is your chance to support and carry and be the bride of Christ to the bride of Christ. Look around. Is there anyone that doesn't have a hand? I see a guy right here, right up front. Who's going who's to reach out to him? Is there anyone that doesn't have a hand? If you see someone standing and they don't have a hand on their shoulder, move. Come on, this is your chance. Get out of your seats. Go help. Same in the link. We're going to pray for victory in Jesus' name right now. Our gracious, heavenly Father, By your stripes we are healed, God. Your blood was shed on Calvary for us to live victoriously. Dear Jesus, I pray that the spirit of depression, whether it's physical, chemical, or spiritual, that you would reveal it to to those that are standing. Holy Spirit, illumine their minds. Holy Spirit, convict their hearts. Holy Spirit, Comfort them. Holy Spirit, support them. Holy Spirit, reveal to them. And Jesus, I pray for victory like we've never seen before. I pray for darkness to flee in the strong name of Jesus Christ. I pray for strongholds to be broken. I pray for wounds from childhood to be healed completely forever. I pray for for new paths and new journeys and new steps. I pray that we would step out of our caves and we would step out of our cabins and then we would chase after you, Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, in your strong name, bring healing to my people, your people that you died for. Lift this depression. And may we live to our redemptive potential like never before. I pray for confession of sin. And I pray for secrets to, to come to light. I pray for a victorious bride. And I pray we would never run back to darkness. And now, God, we claim that victory only in your name, Jesus Christ. Not based on our own work and our own doing. Because we know greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I just commit my church to you, Jesus. In your strong name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.